0: Well, Bev and I returned from vacation last night. Um, We left Phoenix yesterday, and it was a balmy 42 degrees. Just the way I imagine heaven will be. Except that we'll have an eternal water slide. It'll be great, palm trees. You'll want to be in heaven there, too. And we're glad to to be back. And this is a, a great Sunday. We've always look forward to the kickoff of our new calendar year. We realize it's a very busy time for families as you get your children settled and your grandchildren and extended family. But it is also a season of possibility and excitement, and we're glad that you're sharing this morning with us. As mentioned, uh, we are launching an app And on that app, you will find all kinds of helpful material. You can do your connections there and uh, find useful information. Uh, If you have missed the last sermon series by Pastor Paul, you'll want to go back and just check that out. Just great teaching. If you go to cdac.ca slash messages, all of the messages are there. You can listen to and be part of this church. Today, I'm uh, launching a new brand new series, and with that, I want to welcome those who are listening online. Thank you for being online with us and checking us out here. This morning, you can access your sermon notes on the Bible app. just click uh, click on more events and circle drive will come up you can uh, click on that you can save that you can share it with your friends and you can be part of the service that way well as you probably know the the thing that we all have in common whether you're christian or you're not a jesus follower uh, but you believe in some sort of a God. We have this in common, that we have seasons in our lives when we ask for something and God doesn't do what we ask. And I think most of us have experienced that. We probably felt at times like maybe God was inattentive. Maybe he was uncooperative. Or perhaps he was late to the party. And you were waiting for God to answer that prayer, that request, that desperation of your heart. Now, I'm going to ask this morning for everybody to participate. And I'm going to ask you a question. And then I want you to respond. And I want you to respond with a raised hand. And I'm not going to ask anything further. This isn't setting you up for something. I will make a point with this, trust me. But I want you to respond this morning in the affirmative by raising your hand to this question. And and again, I'm not embarrassing anyone. I just want us to understand something. Now, if there has ever been a time in your life when you felt that God was inattentive or that he didn't cooperate with your request or he was late in responding to you, I want you to raise your hand, raise it high, and keep it up. Everybody, raise your hand where you feel. Now, I want you to keep your hand up Particularly if you're at the front, I want you to turn around and look at the hands Right You can put your hand down Now we could close the service right now But I won't Because we just learned something didn't we You're not the only one You are not alone in this and the reason we have difficulty with God being inattentive and uncooperative and late is the fact that we thought we were the only ones and people like me preachers pastors make this worse we do because we we teach that it's normal that God is always attentive, that he's always there, that he's always cooperative. He's always on time. And so when when he's not, we give you the feeling like it's your problem. God's up to something, but it's your problem. It's your fault. And people come out of church thinking that God works for everybody else. But there's something wrong with me. And people think that I have to pray more. You know, if I just pray more. Or maybe if I just confessed more. Or if I did more. Or if I have more faith. Or if I gave more money. Then God would, would respond. So I wanted us to raise our hands and say... That at some point, we've all experienced this, that God has been inattentive and uncooperative and late. Now, the other thing that makes this difficult for us is because people around us seem that life works. You notice that? You look around, and they have a job, and they live in a nice neighborhood, and their kids are excelling. They're in sports and dance, and, and you think to yourself, their kids behave. What's wrong with me? And you watch people for whom life goes well, and you think to yourself, they're not even good people. You know, they don't go to church. On Sundays, they're on the golf course or at the lake or at the rider game. And, And I'm sweating it out in church trying to follow that preacher. Their life is wrinkle-free and I'm trying to keep my nose clean and it's just not going the way I want it to go. I try to live right and do right things and life is not going well for me. And then, all of a sudden, it's like an internal clock, something happens, we switch perspectives from what is wrong with me to what is wrong with God. What's wrong with God? If he's all powerful and all-knowing and so loving. It's infuriating and it, it accents the problem that God is inattentive and uncooperative and late. And some of you have Christian friends that make it even worse. They say things like, you know, the other day I was in a rush, and I was late, and I needed a good parking spot. So I prayed, God, could you give me a good parking spot? And what do you know? What do you know? I was right in front of the store, and this car pulled out, and I pulled in in front of the mall. And you're thinking to yourself, shut up. I'm asking God for a job. I'm asking him to heal my marriage and to bring my kids back. And I have this medical report. And I'm in a financial bind. And God gave you a parking spot? You don't want to hear that. Some of you don't want to be around church people. You don't want to be part of a small group with those kinds of people who God answers their petty prayers, and you have something major going on in your life, and you're pleading with God, and there's no progress. It's infuriating. And perhaps it's why some of you have dropped out of church after being there for a long time. And you're only here because your kid was singing, or your grandkid, or your niece and nephew. And you don't want to be here except for the burger after the proceedings. And you might be fed up with Christians who give you simple formulas to make God work for you. But you're smarter than that, aren't you? because you know it doesn't work that way. You don't want to abandon God, or you don't want to abandon faith, because you can't live very well without hope. But the question remains, what do you do when it seems like God is not answering your prayer, and it appears that God is inattentive, and uncooperative, and he's not time? And if there is a God and he's not engaging in my circumstances of life and doing what I need God to do, if God is silent, then the logical uh, conclusion is that maybe there is no God. Or worse, there is, but he doesn't care about me. He's inattentive. So we ask the question, what's wrong with God? What's wrong with him? Now around here, we like to ask questions that are difficult. Because uh, I've learned that in some church communities, you've got to be fine. You've know, you got to have an appearance that life is good, and God is good, and everything's great. And even when you're dying inside, I'm great. And it produces such a phony, religious culture that my wife and I decided long time ago we couldn't do life that way. And one of the environments we've created is what we call Alpha, where we welcome questions about God and life and faith and all of the messy stuff that you have questions about. We say, come, come to Alpha we'll have dinner together, we'll have a video on point, and then we can go at it. And we can wrestle with the questions of life. We love it when people bring questions because life is full of questions. Now, just to set this thing up, I want you to see that God was completely consistent with being inattentive and uncooperative and late I want you to consider this morning Jesus Christ the Son of God if anybody deserved the best parking spot it was Jesus really he was the boy with the best attendance record never in trouble his parents thought he was the perfect kid and he was never sin never did anything wrong Growing up as God's son, he got up early in the morning and spent time with his father. He was attentive to the promptings of God's spirit. He did only what the father told him to do, and he said only what the Father told him to say. He was the perfect kid. did everything right never strayed off course. Even in adolescence, he didn't experiment or try to find himself. He knew he was his father's son. He was the person that you could look up and you could follow with confidence. Jesus knew his purpose. His purpose was to bring eternal life to all of mankind. He said of himself, I've come to seek And to save the lost. He was the guy that was concerned about the whole world. He knew the bondages of people. And it says of Jesus in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He knew that mankind struggled with the, with the consequences of evil and sin in a world that left brokenness, left damage, left heartache, broken relationships, broken dreams. And he took all of that on himself because he came for you and for me. And the night before Jesus was arrested on false charges, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a garden just outside of Jerusalem, down the Kidron Valley and up. Some years ago, Bev and I were there, and it's just a beautiful, simple little garden, a place of peace. You could see the whole city of Jerusalem from the garden. And there in that garden, knowing what it was he, he was about to face, he asked his father for a favor. What father wouldn't want to give this perfect son everything that he was asking for? Maybe he reminded his father of his impeccable record. Hey, father, I've never strayed the course. I've, I've done everything right. Everything you've asked me to do, I have done. His simple prayer was, Father, if there's another way other than death, if there was some other way to save the world and deal with the sin of mankind other than placing it on me and sending me to a cross, could you do it? I mean, you're all-knowing, God. You, you are so creative. You created the world. This, this is just a minor problem, a minor request in all of the big things of life. Could you do it, Father? And if anyone deserved to be spared from the impending suffering and death, it was Jesus Christ. It said that the prayer of Jesus was so intense that he sweat drops of blood. And you know the story. Jesus was not spared from the sentence of death. He went through a mock trial that had no shred of justice. He was beaten, spit on, stripped, humiliated. Had there been a Charter of Rights at the time he had grounds for filing a complaint. There was absolutely nothing. That would be justice. It was completely unfair and Jesus was abandoned abandoned by every one of his friends. He was all alone. And he had no one to call. And no one could have said to Jesus, hey, hey, Jesus, you should have prayed more. Eh? What's in your life that you need to confess, Jesus? You should have had more faith. What's the sin that you are harboring that you have not confessed? No one could say that to Jesus, God's only son. This was God's perfect son, a son of privilege. His Father created the world and everything in it. His Father called the shots. He saw the injustice that His Son is experiencing. And Jesus ended up on the cross with the weight of the whole world's sin. Jesus had no sin of His own to carry to that cross on His own account. It was everybody else's sin. It was dark. It was despairing. It was dirty. Jesus was lonely, humiliated. He was in pain. It was unjust. And to make matters worse, God didn't even talk to him. He was silent. Jesus must have felt as though God was inattentive and uncooperative, and he was late. He fully identifies with our raised hand. He says, I know. I've been there. And on the cross, as Jesus endured the suffering and excruciating pain. Jesus finally broke the silence. And he verbalized what many of us have cried out in our own desperation. When we feel that God is inattentive and uncooperative and late, we say the same thing. Maybe we use different words, but the sentiment is the same. And Jesus said, Father, why... Why is it that you've forsaken me? Where are you? I don't even sense that you're here. And when we feel God is inattentive and uncooperative and late, we say some some similar things like, God, why don't you answer my prayer? Why is it? What have I done to deserve this? You claim all power, so why don't you intervene in my circumstance? What's wrong with you, God? And what I want us to see is that there was nothing wrong with Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with God. But sometimes the filter by which we view life becomes cloudy. And we don't see things correctly. And we make conclusions about God and about life and about Jesus and about the church and about Christians because we have this faulty screen and this filter that has become dirty by the problems and difficulties of life. And the expectations that we carry about God and we impose on him They create an offense in our spirit, and our heart, and we begin to see God as he really is not. And our perspective is skewed, and we find ourselves so disconnected from God because he has not come through for us in the way that we expected and wanted him to come through. Friends, I have been here. I'm not just talking about abstract things. There was a period of my life when I was in ministry trying to help people connect with God, and I felt so disconnected from him. I had expectations that he would protect me. I was trying to do the right thing. I felt I was led to do the right thing. And then God, it felt like he was—he abandoned me And I had trouble coming out of my ears and out my big nose. And I was saying, God, where are you? And sometimes our perspective is so skewed. That we can't see the God who loves us, the one who is full of grace and forgiveness. And love. In fact, that's why we have circle groups here. I mean, circle groups are a great way to find friends and journey through life together. But I found that when I was at my lowest, I needed a group of friends who could not only love me, but help me see what I could not see. Give me perspective and understanding of the the things that were happening in my life. And in the circle group, we help each other see what we may not see. Good friends help us navigate life. There are times when we have no answers and we need support. And it says of Jesus when he was in the garden that angels actually came and ministered to him I think they were whispering perspective into his life. You can do it, Jesus. You'll see. At the end of the day, there will be victory. Hang in there. Friends, I'm saying, many of us need to be in a circle group because trying to navigate the challenges of life alone is too much for any one of us to bear. Some of you have suffered because of abuse, whether it's emotional or physical or sexual. And it has affected every area of your life. I want you to know we have journey groups that allow people to process some of the difficulties of their life and to process all of that abuse and find health and wholeness once again. It's not that it that abuse ever leaves you, but you can find healing and hope and you can function as a healed individual if you'll just access the help that there is. Some of you have prayed for years about your marriage and you've been trusting God, oh, God, heal my marriage. And then your partner walks out and you're left all alone. We have divorce care for people just like you who have gone through the difficulties of a broken relationship and what that means to the inner workings of your soul and spirit. You can find hope and help and healing in Jesus' name. Yeah. If Jesus Christ experienced such pain, pain from the circumstances of life and found himself, in such a predicament that he, to the point he wanted a different mission. Perhaps it is possible that each of us here, to one degree or another, are in circumstances so uncomfortable that we cry out and ask God for a different set of circumstances. In a moment, Rose is coming to sing a song that speaks to the place that Jesus came to in the garden at the end of his heartfelt prayer. The fact that God did not rescue Jesus from the discomfort means that it is possible that God won't rescue us from the discomfort of our own circumstances. And that may not sound like good news to you, but trust me, I will help you see the silver lining in this difficult reality. As Jesus came to the point where he said, Father, I surrender not my will, but your will. He said, If you're not going to remove this cup from me, I need your grace to carry me through. And maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. That God will never abandon you, even in the low points. Even when you feel he's inattentive and uncooperative and late.